Another edition of the Behind the U podcast. It is brought to you by the University of Miami's Department of Continuing and International Education. Joined by Orlando Franklin, who you may or may not recognize exactly, but uh, Orlando, appreciate you doing this. Appreciate you hopping on because there's so much to talk about. It's not just about you and Miami. It's about that you are now a broadcaster for ESPN and the ACC Network, and you call have called our games and have seen ACC play. Uh, so there's a lot to cover. Appreciate you making the time. Yeah, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate you just welcoming me on the podcast and super excited about this. This is, I've always wanted to do more things, right? Five years ago, I retired from the NFL and and just got right into broadcasting and was always trying to figure out a way how to get more involved in the University of Miami. So I was very pleased when I, I got this request just to get back to the old stomping grounds. Absolutely. There's a lot to cover here because uh, this is usually in this it's sort of a journey sort of covering your story but now your story's got multiple facets and I did ca- I don't know when the, the the whole transformation happened but I saw the pictures and I was like wait a second he'd be interesting to have on so I'm glad uh we're doing this let's start here Orlando which is um I think you called our Bethune game correct yeah the Bethune Cookman game yeah so I assume you had some time to talk usually there's always access to Mario the coordinators I assume you had that and if you did the biggest thing you took away from, let's just start with Mario. What was the biggest thing you kind of took away in your conversations with him? Just the love for the University of Miami. You know, the same thing that I felt as an 18-year-old kid coming out in 2006. You know, Mario was the reason why I committed to the University of Miami. He went there. He played there. He was there when it was at the top. He was there when, you know, trying to recruit to get them back to the top. And just you know, that orange and green that that I get the feeling that if you cut Mario Cristobal open, that's what you're going to see, you know? So that passion, it's, it's unlike anything else. And he shows it, he wears it on his sleeve. And I think that's what makes him such a great recruiter. That's what makes him such a great coach. That's what makes him so great for the university of Miami because of just what he's always represented. Now, when you say you committed because of him, like literally, was he there? Or you're saying because of that connection to the greatness, the history, et cetera, or he was part of, literally part of your recruitment? Mario recruited me. Mario recruited me the whole entire time. He was my contact when I was at Atlantic High School in Delray Beach, Florida. Like when I first started getting letters from the University of Miami, uh, the coach that called me, he was a tight end coach back then. And, you know, he was my guy. I've met Mario's family. And, you know, when I was 18 years old, I I was calling him saying, hey, man, I, I think I like Florida. I like Georgia. And he had to stop everything that he's doing <laughs> and constantly recruit the heck out of me. Mario was my guy the whole entire time. So you know exactly. I mean, you'd be the best person to speak on what's Mario uh, in charge, like leading the way, leading us back, leading the program, having the plan in place like, you sat in front of him. Yeah, yeah. I, I was recruited by him. I remember, he, and he told this story to the broadcasting crew, and I never knew his side of it. But, you know, I was committed to the University of Miami. I was going to Miami, and I ended up taking a visit to UF, and I called Coach Cristobal, and I said, hey, Coach, you know, I'm getting a little confused. Um, right now, I, I like what Florida's talking about, and, and Mario was like, hey, hold on, where are you? And I was like, I'm at home. And within like an hour and a half, I heard a knock at the door and I opened up the door and there's Mario Cristobal, you know, and this is like 11 p.m. at night back in the mid 2000s. So he did everything that he was supposed to do, everything that he could. And he went above and beyond. You know, I, I don't go to the University of Miami unless Mario Cristobal recruited me. That's awesome. So he is known to be diligent. He is known detailed he is known to be work oriented and i think that you just documented all of that factually yeah Yeah. i mean he's an unbelievable recruiter but you know the thing that i got from him day one was the family you know that's what he sold me on when it came to the university of miami heck i remember riding around with his brother lou cristobal meeting his brother after coming to watch a miami hurricane game like as a senior in high school so for me just as a kid that had moved from Toronto that was kind of on his own, I was living with my high school coach my senior year. He knew exactly what buttons to press and and how to really appeal to me. And 
I think that's what makes a great coach. At the end of the day, I've seen it at you know the college level, the high school level, the professional level. And I tell people all the time, the hardest job that a coach has is a coach has to understand that each and every individual, when you get to college and the professional level, each and every individual that you're coaching up, they were alphas at some point. And how do you appeal to that alpha? Because you've got to figure out what motivates them. And Mario knew that family motivated me. So he was able to play really hard into that aspect, show me how University of Miami was a family orientated and, you know, the small classroom sizes. And, and he had me from day one, like he had me on the edge of my seat. So just a unbelievable job of understanding who he's recruiting and what, you know, that person has been through and what's going to, you know, be appealing to that young individual. Let's start with the let's start with your group. What'd you make of the team? What'd you make of the offensive line group? Yes, it was Bethune, but I'm sure you can pull things out of there that will carry over the rest of the season. What'd you like? I'm thoroughly impressed. You know, typically when you look at the offensive line, when you look at, you know, just inheriting a football team, it typically takes about three years to really fix a offensive line. You know, that's what I've seen the last couple of years or just right before Mario got there. I'm not trying to talk down on guys or anything like that, but it lacked physicality. It lacked nastiness. It lacked guys that just would draw a line in the dirt and say, you know what? It stops right here. And I'm going to be a protector of this football team. And I'm definitely going to be a protector of the quarterback. So I think coach Cristobal has done a heck of a job in how he's transitioned that offensive line kind of in one year, you know, being able to kind of flip the switch, have one returning starter from year one to year two, and revamp that whole entire offensive line, creating nastiness and physicality that we haven't seen at the University of Miami in decades. I feel like you would fit in there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's one thing that I pride myself on, right? If all else failed, I was going to be the most physical person on that football field. So I think they've done a heck of a job in kind of reshaping that well, from a guy like Cooper, a guy that was over 400 pounds, for them to get him in shape, it could absolutely play, but find a way to motivate that young man to get in the best shape of his life, to go out play that right card position, to find him, you know, leave from, um, I think, where did he go to? UCF? Central Florida, yep. Yeah, so finding him, smart guy, right? Bringing in, you know, Lou Cristobal Jr., right, to back up that center position. Mario's going to be a heck of a recruiter getting Maui Noah at the right tackle position i think that guy has a you know the ability to be everything right all american all acc first round draft pick like he has that talent so just being able to kind of flip the switch in, in one year and revamp that thing and bring in some nasty guys that love football i think that was an unbelievable job by that coaching staff one other thing how about just not only the revamping of the offensive line but you've essentially kind of refamp two sides of the ball with two new coordinators. And what I wanted to ask Orlando is your time at Miami. I think you had some different coordinators. You've been in the NFL, probably played under different systems. How much for a player does just that fit with either the personality of the coordinator or the system impact performance on the field? I think a lot, you know, I've always said it like this, a quarterback and an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, they should be the three musketeers. You know, they should be guys that are like each other on and off the field, can have conversations about any and everything, but also they have to be able to think alike. You know, so I love what Coach Cristobal did with Coach Dawson and, and just being able to evolve, you know, Tyler Van Dyke in that recruiting process and being able to, to have a little bit of a conversation. Obviously, you're not going to, you know, let a guy that's, 20 something years old pick the coordinator you know but it's important that they have some kind of chemistry and a great relationship and what i see at the university of miami right now i see you know coach dawson and tvd i i think that they have a great relationship a great rapport that was a lot of the things that we asked behind the scenes of, in the production meeting because you know, you hear this quarterback-friendly offense, right? What's a quarterback-friendly offense? You should always have a quarterback-friendly offense and be doing the things that you your quarterback likes. But do you have the right type of relationship and chemistry where when that offensive coordinator talks and that quarterback talks, you know, they believe in each other. They trust each other's opinion. And that's what we have right now with, you know, TVD and Coach Dawson out there at the University of Miami.
When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Lebovic Law Group. At Lebovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lebovic. Lebovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes and proud sponsor of all things you. Go you! So you are calling games for ACC Network ESPN. Who, what are the other teams you've seen? What are the ACC teams have you seen? Uh, week one, we had Syracuse. We were up at Syracuse. Uh, week two, we had FSU versus Southern Miss. Uh, week three, we had University of Miami. Four, we had Boston College at Louisville. And last week, we were off. And this week, we're going to Virginia. All right. So get, so we got Florida State, BC, Louisville. Give us a little a quick sneak peek at what's upcoming. I know – we're, we're broadcaster analysts. We can look ahead. Coaches don't like this stuff, but give a yeah. little sneak peek at those three. I mean, with uh, BC, it's all about Thomas Castellano, right? Young quarterback, exciting. That football team's rallying around him. That young man's special. He's never really out of a game. You know, what's been the most impressive thing to watch about that young man is the off schedule. You know, nobody can ever really put a thumb on how a quarterback is going to perform off schedule. You know how he wants to perform in the system and you're going to design the system to fit that quarterback. But when things go off schedule, does he have what it takes to overcome things like that when a team takes away the read? And that's what we saw, you know, this these past couple of years with uh, the 49ers with Brock Purdy, and that's why he's the starter now. And they moved away from Trey Lance because his off schedule stuff has been off the charts. So I think with BC, it's about stopping Thomas Castellano. I mean, you're able to stop him, you'll take the will of that football team. Um, when you look at Louisville, right, you, you look at Jack Plummer, I, I mean, and he's playing at an unbelievable high level. He was with Coach Brown out there in Purdue. That relationship is unlike any other where you have a young man that leaves a school and says, you know what, Coach, I'm not the starter or I'm not going to be the guy. Let me leave. But for them to find their way back to each other at a different school, it tells you about, you know, Coach Brown and how they do things out there, Louisville and the Brown family. And very honest with their kids for their kids to trust them and for Jack to now reunite with them a couple years later at a different school. You know, when you look at Syracuse, right? I mean, it's all about Garrett Schrader, right? And what he's going to do with his legs. He's special, but I believe that he takes entirely too many hits. You know, I think he runs a little bit too much and that's why he got banged up last year. So he, and he continues to do things that are special with his legs, but put himself in a position to get banged up. And FSU, man, FSU is good. All eyes tuned on, what's that, week seven? Miami plays FSU out here in a couple weeks. I mean, that's going to be an unbelievable matchup because you have two football teams that, in my opinion, are really, really good football teams. And whoever wins that, you know, will have an opportunity to be in the college football playoffs. Last thing on, on this current team, Orlando, which would be, I imagine for Bethune, you went back and watched the tape of the A&M game. I'm, I'm assuming that. So what that game, obviously, uh, competitively, maybe a greater barometer uh, of seeing things that you could really pick out and go, this is this is some building block stuff in here. So what did you pull out of that game when you went back and watched it as you were getting ready to call Miami and Bethune? The physicality. You know, watching Miami with their offensive line and defensive line. The identity of the football team is being ran through the big boys up front. And when the big boys up front take care of business, you got a great opportunity. And what better team than to go against than a Texas A&M, one of the biggest offensive lines in college football. And I thought Miami's D-line handled their business and took care of business. And a very good young defensive line as well. You know, they have some five-star recruits, some good guys that can get after the quarterback where Miami's offensive line was able to match up really, really good against that. So, you know, for SEC football, they always talk about the big boys, and I thought Miami dominated up front in both of those categories. All right, let's get to your story. You mentioned, you touched on, you were one year here in Florida, getting recruited by Mario Cristobal, away from your family, living with your high school coach. Let's back that up a little bit. So born in Jamaica, moved to mm -hmm. Canada. How long in Jamaica, and then why Canada? Uh, I was born in Jamaica. I left Jamaica when I was three years old why Canada? Simply, that's where my mom was able to get a visa for. She applied for a visa for the UK, applied for one for the United States, and applied for one for Canada. Uh, was denied the visa with the UK and the United States. 
and uh, ended up getting approved for a visa to Canada. My mom left Jamaica when I was two years old and kind of left me with a uh, a lady, like a, a nanny type of older lady that took care of kids. And, you know, the Jamaican community is very much the same, right? You always have different people trying to get visas, trying to look for a better life, better opportunities. So there are different people that are, you know, kind of, household like shelf like household like caregivers that, that take care of young children um so my mom was able to move to canada within a year she got married i uh, was able to file for me and my brother you know she got her visa and was able to start the citizenship process but uh moved to toronto when i was three and then was in toronto until i was 15. so when did you start playing football because canada i mean yes there's the cfl but we know that that's you know canada's a- there's a different sport there that dominates. So when did you get introduced to football? Um, and was it the first thing you were introduced to? <laughs> yeah, so obviously, you know, I'm, I got a Jamaican background, right? So the first sport that I was introduced to was the other football. Right. The European football, where we know it as soccer, right? So growing up, kind of watching that and watching cricket and really just watching kind of what my mom wants to watch on TV. But, uh, <laughs> When I was seven years old, I'll never forget because obviously it altered the course of my life forever and, you know, introduced me to my first love, the game of football. I was downstairs in front of my building. We grew up in Section 8. I was growing, living in Section 8 in Canada. It's these buildings, right? They go vertically to keep uh, that uh, footprint as small as possible. So I was outside just at the park right in front of the building. And these two kids had jumped out of a car and they had football equipment. And I was seven years old. Like I said, you know, my mom was controlling what we watched in our household. And I didn't even know what this thing was that they were walking around. And I walked up to these guys and I introduced myself and I said, hey, what, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's football equipment. I was like, what is football equipment? You know, and they were like, they put their equipment on in front of me. And then they started giving me like demonstrations of like what this thing is. And I was like, oh my goodness gracious, like this is pretty cool. How do I sign up? Like, can I play? And they said, yeah, you could come play. They're actually doing tryouts right now. And I was like, when's the next time tryouts is? And this was a Tuesday. They were like, we have practice again on Thursday. And I was like, okay, hold on a minute. And like, I run to the elevator, go upstairs. We lived on the sixth floor. And I go in my house now, wait for well, well, wait for the elevator, get on six, run to the door, run inside, tell my mom, hey, these guys are downstairs. They play football. They said that I could try out for the team uh, this Thursday. My mom was like, okay, but how are you getting there? Right? So now I run back downstairs to these guys <laughs> and I'm like, my mom said I could go, but how do I, how are we getting there? And one of the kids are like, hey, my mom takes us. You'll be fine. Like, she'll take us to practice. She'll bring us home. And um, this is the time, like we'll, we'll get home around 9 p.m. So I run upstairs, I tell my mom, and she's like, okay, as long as you're home by nine, that's perfectly fine. So I run downstairs and tell these guys, okay. My mom said, okay, I can go. What time do I need to be ready? And the rest is history. I went to my first practice, fell in love. Coaches were like, yes, we'll absolutely have them. And I was able to make that football team and, and I fell in love with it as the days went on. Now, did you play anything else as well, or were you just 100% a football guy? Uh, I played basketball growing up as well, so uh, just football and basketball. But obviously, you know, growing up in uh, up there in the, in the Northeast, you, you got to learn how to skate, right? You learn how to skate. So you can skate. Absolutely. Uh, both my kids, my five-year-old is in hockey too right now. He's learning how to play hockey. And uh, my three-year-old, well, will be three-year-old in a couple of days. He's learning how to skate right now as well. So I'm on the ice at least twice a week. Join us at Gulfstream Park this spring with live action Thursday through Sunday. Enjoy entertainment outdoors at the Carousel Club or feast in 10 Palms. Not hungry? Visit our many on-site shopping locations from fashion stores to home furnishings. For schedules, reservations, and tickets, visit GulfstreamPark.com. We bounce around here, uh, just going through your social media. You're like a massive sports fan. Yeah. I've seen you yeah. at hockey games, basketball games. Obviously, you love football. Like, you love – and it seems like you love the Colorado teams, the Denver teams. 
Well, I, I tell people this. I'm everything Toronto first, right? If the, if the Toronto Raptors are playing against the Denver Nuggets, I'm rooting for the Toronto Raptors. Um, but after Toronto, yes, I'm going to root for everything Colorado-based. Um, the season ticket holder for the Avs, season ticket holder for the Nuggets. Obviously, you know, the Denver Broncos are the team that drafted me, and being that I'm from Canada, that was the first NFL team, so I got a vested interest in the Denver Broncos. But yes, I mean, I live here, so might as well root for the teams that where I live, right? But you're but you're invested, right? You're a season ticket holder for you're like you're a legitimate sports fan. I love what sports gives a person. I think that everybody should play competitive sports at some point in their career or some point in their lives, because one, they strengthen community ties, but also it teaches you how to deal with adversity. You're never going to be as good. Everything's not going to go great. How do you work through adversity? with your peers that are around you. And I think that, you know, that we could all benefit from that later on in life. Uh, I don't disagree going through that this year with my son and his football team. So I, uh, I share, I share that sentiment with you, my friend. Uh, all right. So we're playing football in Canada and then you touched on coming down here for that one year. So how did that transpire? Was playing college football as you entered your senior year, a desire of yours? Was that not the, was that the reason why you came down here? Yeah, so I uh, got in a little bit of trouble after my sophomore or that, year. Or that, or that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so got in a little bit of trouble. Um, ended up getting kicked out of high school. Um, just becoming a product of the environment. Like I said, grew up in Section 8 housing. Um, you start doing the things that your friends are doing in the neighborhood, right? And where we lived in Section 8 housing, there was no real strong male figures. You know, I, me and before we got to this place that we were living, we ended up in a homeless shelter, me, my mom, and my brother. And, you know, with the Section 8, these buildings were for single women, you know, so, you know, you, you put two buildings side by side, they got 16 stories high, you know, there's what, about 14 apartments on each floor, and I would say probably about 80% of those households don't have a male figure in those households. So you start doing the things that, you know, everybody's doing and, you know, not making a lot of money. I remember at one point in my life, my mom was making $150 a week. And, you know, our rent every single month was 450 bucks. And yet my mom figured out a way to feed us every single day to make sure that we went to school every single day, right? So just, you know, Money was very scarce growing up. My birthday is December 16th. I remember getting presents on my birthday and getting the same thing nine days later for Christmas, right? So those things getting rewrapped. Um, so just kind of becoming a product of my environment, getting in trouble. And my mom just kind of saying, hey, you know what? Your older brothers kind of went down this path already. We're not going to continue to go down this, this path. Then you need to figure out what you want to do with your life. You need to figure out it, figure it out as soon as possible. You know, at this point, when I was 15, after my sophomore year, I kind of knew that I was really, really good at sports. Um, was playing for Team Ontario out there in Canada for football. Was playing travel team basketball. But, you know, I, I had seen a couple guys get scholarship offers, but they came few and far between growing up in Canada. So, you know, I kind of told my mom that I needed to move to the States if there was any possibility to move to the States. And if I was able to move to the States, that it's you know, I would have a very good chance of getting a scholarship to go to college for free. And, you know, my mom was like, okay, you know what, Let, let's see if we can figure this thing out. Um, she was able to figure it out. She moved to Florida. I had to go through the legal system for the next six months or so. And then, um, you know, all the charges ended up getting dropped and I was free and clear. And I was on a, a plane 48 hours later, moving to South Florida. So she moved ahead of you? Yeah, she moved ahead of me uh, about six months before me, uh, kind of got situated down there, was able to, you know, obtain a job as a healthcare aide, and then, you know, met some people and, and was able to kind of move me down there with uh, one of the, her friends that she had met, you know, end up living there. And her friend that she met ended up moving out the house, and I was living with her little cousin. So the oldest person in the house was 22 years old. I'm now 16, going into my junior year in high school. And that the guy that's 22, he moved in two of his friends. And we're living in Delray Estates out there in Delray Beach, Florida. And, um, you know, as you could imagine, you know, us being so young without any parental guidance, <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of complaints are happening. Uh, we ended up getting evicted, actually, in seven months. 
And I walk into my high school coach's office. I said, listen, you know, I really appreciate everything that you coaches have done for me, but I think I'm going to have to go back to Canada. We just got evicted and I can't live with my mom because she's a healthcare aide and she lives with the family that she's taking care of. And her high school coach was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Um, we'll figure out somewhere for you to live. Don't you worry. Like you're, you're, you're a left tackle. You're a part of this football team. We'll figure out somewhere to live for you to live. So I ended up living with the family for a little bit and then moving in with my high school coach for my senior year of high school. It's a pretty crazy story, Orlando. <laughs> yeah. 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 All over the place. That's for sure. So prior to moving in with your coach, had, had you been recruited yet? Like did, was college football on the horizon at this point, if you were thinking of going back to Canada did you know what you were giving up or were you still pursuing that? Yeah, so I, I, I kind of knew, but um, my junior year, I was actually academically ineligible. So I didn't get to play my junior year and I had to go through credit lab, you know, like a University of Central Florida. I, I went to their camp because I was able to participate. Like we did a seven on seven out there and I yep. was able to participate going, getting ready to finish my junior year, even though I was just getting eligible. And it was like a down and dirty. Like, it was like an offensive line, defensive line. University of Central Florida was like, yeah, we're offering you a scholarship. So, like, I knew, Hadn't played a snap. Like, hadn't played a snap of high school football. Go to a camp, get a scholarship offer. Yeah, hadn't played a snap. Go to a camp. Just based off size, athleticism. Don't even know if I understand plays, but I, they know I can play one-on-one, -on -one, right? So, yeah, they, they offered me a scholarship. So, I, I kind of knew that hey, if this school was able to offer me a scholarship and they hadn't seen me play, like, there would be a couple more offers there for sure. I didn't know the magnitude of offers. I didn't know that, like, I'd get offered by Ohio State, Michigan, Florida, Miami. Like, I didn't know Georgia, all these different schools, these, these power five schools. But I knew that I would have an opportunity to go to school. And that opportunity was closing at the end of the day because, like I said, we were getting ready to get evicted. So I knew what I was giving up at that point. But I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. I didn't really have any place that I could go until my coach was like, hey, we'll figure this thing out. Who was, it? Who was your coach? Uh, coach Chris Bean. So without him, without him making that offer, there's a good chance you none of the rest of this, well, part of the story maybe, but college, NFL, that's probably unlikely. Yeah, uh, between Coach Chris Bean and uh, Willie Caesar, yeah. I mean, Willie Caesar was uh, our offensive coordinator. Coincidentally enough, he actually went to Bethune Cookman. I saw him Thursday when I was down there calling the game. But he's the one that I actually lived at his house my senior year, Willie Caesar. And then when all those offers start coming in, when? You, you hit the field as a senior and they start rolling in? I play spring ball, you know. And, you know, it's that like three weeks that you're able to kind of practice Correct. down there. And the, coach, and, and the coaches can come out and, and look and scout. Yeah. And it started pouring in as soon as spring football started happening. And the coaches were able to come see me on a day-to-day -day basis. So, Orlando, let me ask you this. You know, between whatever trouble you got in Canada, academically ineligible, you're, you're living without, you know, you're living, in, I guess, in the same city as your mom, but she's, a, she's with a taking care of a family. You're with a coach who kind of helped you kind of figure things out and, and get you, get your head in the right direction. Was it your high school coaches? Was it somebody else? Where did that sort of, how'd you sort of direct yourself as a young kid kind of on his own? Um, you know, I had this guidance counselor. She unfortunately passed away a few years ago um, with, with cancer. Her name's Marissa Fontaine. And, you know, she played a huge role in my life because even, you know, obviously I've always known that I was athletically gifted. You know, I obviously I wanted to do it for my, you know, my mom for making, you know, certain sacrifices. Obviously, you know, I wanted to get right because my coaches were helping me out. But Marissa Fontaine really allowed me to believe in myself, you know, where a lot of times growing up, you looked at certain teachers, like I've been told that I wasn't going to be anything. I've been told that you know, I'm never going to succeed or that I might as well, you know, start figuring out a trade right now because I'm not going to be able to go to college. And I've been told these things by teachers. So, you know, kind of growing up, never really trusted teachers, but Marissa Fontaine, the guidance counselor out there at Atlantic High School, taught me how to kind of believe in myself again and showed me a path to success, you know, and, and really 
worked with me each and every day as far as what classes I needed to retake and how to become academically eligible. So I would say her first for sure, but then also my high school coach, Chris Bean, you know, another part of that story was, my, you know, I was missing a lot of school still my junior year. And, you know, just for, like I said, you know, living in a household where there's so many young people and there's so many different things going on in that household. I remember Chris Bean called me into his office one day and he was a PE coach there while being the head coach at Atlantic. And, you know, he called me into his office and he uh, started talking to me about my attendance. And, you know, he said, hey, come, let's take a walk. And we walked into the gymnasium at our school. And like I said, our mascot was the uh, the eagle, right? So Atlantic Eagles. And he walked me in the middle of our gym and he said, you know what, you're at the point of your life where you could take so many different paths and so many different things could happen in your life. And, you know, he stands right behind me and he says, you know, you go down this path and he reaches over my right ear where I could see his hand in front of my face. He's like, you go down this path, you're going to end up you know, dead. Um, then he grabbed my shoulders and he spun me a little bit and, and adjusted me to a different angle. He's like, you go down this path, you're going to end up in prison for the rest of your life. Spun me a little more, you go down this path and you're going to end up on, you know, hooked on drugs, right? And he gave me all these different scenarios, but then he got to the last, you know, the last angle and he said, but if you go down this path, you'll have an opportunity to go to college for free. Not only that, you'll get an opportunity to get a free education and ultimately have an opportunity of going to the National Football League. And, um, you know, that really stuck. That really stuck as far as there's so many different, you know, paths that we could take in life, but it's only one path that we could take to really achieve our destiny or what we want to become our destiny, right? So kind of really understanding that and really seeing that, that, that definitely kind of was an eye-opener for me and kind of changed my mentality for sure. Well, it's one thing to be told the to message, Orlando, especially at that age, but it's also another to like receive it, listen to it, and try and make whatever changes you can make. So some credit has to, I mean, there's a lot of credit to you as well, right, that you were able to really comprehend what he was, the message he was trying to get through to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, 17-year-old kid, right? Right, I mean, that's what I'm, ah, exactly. it's easy to say it. As adults, we give those messages, not a lot, but, like, that's our job in part, in part, right? Like, we should have some life experience. It's the other thing to do something with it as a young kid, and to me, that that's pretty incredible, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, no doubt. I mean, you look back at it, and I tell people all the time, it wouldn't change anything, anything that I've ever been through in my life because at the end of the day, you know, it made me who I was, but it also made me be able to go through certain situations. You know, people, I, I didn't grow up with my father in my life. And, you know, now, coincidentally enough, my father's actually in my life. Not because he wants anything from me. I mean, because he's never asked me for anything. He probably has more money than me, to be honest with you. But, you know, a lot of people ask me, why don't I resent him? Or, you know, why am I so easy to talk to him? Because me and my father are good, but me and my mom are not good. So that's the crazy part about it, right? So my father's in my life where my mother is not. And my mom has made all these sacrifices for me. But ultimately, with my mom, money became an issue where she thought that I should be doing more than what I was willing to do. And at the end of the day, I'm the one who took all those risks on a football field and took all those hits. So I got to make sure that I'm okay financially and my, my wife, my kids, and my lifestyle is going to be good where me and my mom's relationship has fell apart since I've had children. I mean, my mom hasn't even met my kids. And when I was at the University of Miami, I would talk to my mom two, three times a day. Like she was one of my best friends. But unfortunately, you know, you, you get older, you grow apart and you see that there's, there's other motivations for people. But I mean, uh, people always ask me, how, how on earth can you be, you know, good with your father or talk with your father? He, he did you so dirty. Like I was 12 years old. My father looked me in my face and said, I have no son named Orlando Franklin. When I was 19 at the University of Miami, after I finished my sophomore year, my father tried to give me a house in South Florida. And I was like, listen, I heard you have other children. You need to sell that house and divide it up with those other children because I'm going to be fine. I'm already in college. I don't need you for anything, right? But 
all these experiences made me understand why I was here, but also made me honestly become calloused enough to go through things. When I was at University of Miami, when we used to have Andrew Swayze as the strength and condition coach with uh, Vic Ishman, that's still the, the one of the strength coaches down there, Coach Swayze used to say, understand why you run, understand why you're doing this. Well, when I was younger, I was doing it honestly because of hatred and for, you know, to be able to tell my father, like, look what I became. But it was able to get me through those tough times where I saw a lot of other guys walk away and quit, to be honest. That's, um, we could probably do a whole podcast on, on that. Um, which we're going to be short on time. So I'll just say that that's, that's again, you're, you, you've been shaped by a lot of experiences. How, how much of those shape your interaction with your family and your own kids? Oh, I'm alive. It's everything. My kids are everything to me. You know, my life, I, I never really had a positive father figure in my life for a consistent basis. All right. I, I've had people that have jumped in for six months, a year, different things like that. But you know, I've learned a little bit from each and every individual that I've kind of gravitated towards and taken those experiences and, and, and applied them in my life to make sure that my kids get what they need. Because at the end of the day, I know how I felt growing up. So children don't ask to be here, right? I mean, as adults and as parents, we selfishly want them here. So when they get here now, it's up to us to make sure that we're doing everything possible to raise them the right way. Change the trajectory of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit miami.edu slash DCIE to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000 to discover which course is right for you. Very clear now by your story, you got recruited by Miami. Mara was an influence, but you probably really weren't too aware of the you, right? You probably went there more so, be I'd imagine that you went there in oh. part because of how Mario presented and recruited and established a relationship, but it wasn't like, oh, I got to go to the you. Um, no, I mean, so I, I, I knew about the U. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely knew about the U. Going up in Toronto, I remember watching those guys run out of the smoke and, you know, watching, you know, those, those early 2000 teams and watching kind of just that because you know, in 2001, 2002, the whole world's talking about the University of Miami, right? And you know, coincidentally enough, Darren Diedrich that went to Nebraska when University of Miami beat up on Nebraska, Darren Diedrich's from Toronto, Canada. So he was one of those those one of those success stories out of, you know, Scarborough Thunder the League that I was playing. And so I said I had saw, seen people, you know, make it to college from Toronto. He was one of them, but it came few and far between. And I remember watching that national championship game because at this point, the biggest person that I knew was Darren Diedrich. And I remember Miami just absolutely playing lights out, right? So you start knowing about that football team. And, you know, for me, I thought the coolest thing in the world was those smoke visors, right? The mirror tint visors. And I was like, man, I want to go to the University of Miami. Like, those are some bad boys out there. They got that swagger. Like, I, I want to go there because I got that swagger too, right? So... Yeah, I definitely knew a little bit about the University okay. of Miami growing up in Toronto. Now, obviously, you know, I don't know what you knew then, so I'll ask. Obviously, we know what's happened since, right, over the last 20 years and why Mario's in place and kind of everything we talked about before. So were you sort of aware of the transitioning that was going on while you were there? Not necessarily up to down, but just like what, what was trying to you – know, Randy was – every, every coach that came in after Coker or Butch were like, was trying to prop Miami back up. Uh, and it's taken a while to get someone in place that I think, you know, has a lot behind him to make that happen. But how were aware are you of either expectations, hope, et cetera, while you were there? I'm very aware. You know, you hear it. Like, when I got to the University of Miami, I'm 18 years old. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. And I see Ed Reed right next to me. I see Andre Johnson to the left of me. Let's see Brian McKenney, you know, four people down from me. So, like, 
you're aware of the expectation because back then, I don't know how it is right now, but everybody came back, right? So with everybody coming back, they're letting you know what the expectation is. So you were recruited by Mario under Larry or under under Larry, right? Under Larry Coker, I was recruited by Mario Cristobal, yeah. But then quickly thereafter, Randy, Mar- Larry's let go and, and 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 Randy comes in. What was what do you remember about you know, Randy? So I- we talk about adversity. I was recruited by Larry Coker and Mario Cristobal in 2006. I graduated in 2006. So I, I, I had committed to Miami. Larry was there. Everybody was there. And then, um, you know, I went to the University of Miami and uh, for summer one. And then I went for summer two. And then the NCAA flagged one of my high school English classes, my freshman English class out of Toronto, Canada. And, you know, they actually withdrew me out of school five days into training camp in 2006. Oh, now that makes sense, because I was like, wait a second, redshirt freshman, didn't really see on the uh, didn't see on the yeah. roster. But I'm like, I'm doing the math on five years now. Tell the rest of the story. Yeah. So, you know, I was at school, you know, going through summer one, going through summer two. I, now I got college credits. Uh, five days in a training camp my freshman year in 2006 that summer NCAA flags an English class and says hey you can't we gotta you know withdraw you out of school you gotta retake this class you know even though UM's accepting it the NCAA clearinghouse is not accepting it so I withdrew out of UM I had to go back to Atlantic High School you know you talk about the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is in you know May 2006 saying goodbye to everybody saying okay i'm going to university of miami you know an hour an hour down south to two months later being back in high school and walking around on high, a high school campus going to a ninth grade english class every single day for that semester i had to go into class and retake that class so you know this is larry coker's last year this is mario's last year during that time now, while I'm going to school, I get five visits. And then, you know, I, I visited Georgia, got really confused with the visiting of Georgia and decided to shut my recruiting down because I didn't want to open up a can of worms and I had already committed to Miami a year before, but ended up going back to Miami, even though they had made a change, moved on from Larry Coker after that year. You know, because I got to know Randy Shannon and, and, you know, he was kind of re-recruiting me and making sure that he was staying in touch and things like that. Man, your story is is movie worthy or book worthy, <laughs> something. It needed, thank God you came on the podcast, man. This is uh, this is why I like doing these things because you just, everybody's stories, they act their own books, man. They got their own, they all write themselves. So the big story with Randy was that 2008 class that came in from Northwestern and, you know, it was going to turn the program around you being someone from Canada a year or two here in the, in Florida. what do you think when those guys came in, how did you interact with them? Anyone that you were close with, how was that received inside? I know how it was received sort of externally. How was it received internally? You know, those, those guys are all brothers, right? I mean, you go to war with those guys any day of the week. Playing the game of football, no matter what, you, you, you got to callous yourself up. Football is the hardest sport in the world to play, but that's why I love it. I love it because it's a team sport where 10 guys could go out there and absolutely dominate the guy that's in front of them. But if one person mess up, that play could be a disaster. Like you could lose a football game because of that one person messing up on one play. So everybody has to be perfect. Everybody has to do their job. You gotta rely on ten other people to in order to have success. So, you know, when you look at the game of football, it's easy to gel and easy to bond with those guys. And I've never been a guy that's shied away from talent as well or any type of competition. Now I will say this with those guys, and you know, nothing wrong with Randy Shannon. I, I think the world of Randy Shannon. But Randy Shannon wanted to kind of reinvent you from the neck up. He wanted you to go through adversity. He wanted you to face certain things in order to callous you up for you to be able to have success. The problem with, you know, those seven, eight guys that came from Northwestern was they were 
always being told how great they were, right? From winning the national championship and being so good and being at Northwestern that when they went to University of Miami, those guys couldn't go through the process. You know, when they would get beat down on the practice field or, you know, you know, told that, hey, they're not good enough or they need to fix certain things, what they would do is instead of, you know, what a normal college kid does is, you know, you, you go to the dorm, you, you face the adversity and you, you, you either, you know, pressure bust pipes or, you know, pressure is going to make a diamond, right? Instead of being able to do that and go through that process, what a lot of those guys would do is jump in their car and drive 20 minutes down the street and be praised. So it was that constant struggle that I saw where, you know, we needed these guys to step up on the football field and get to their full potential. But there was that mental block because anytime they faced any type of adversity, they just drive in their car 20 minutes down the road and be praised. And yeah, don't worry about coach, man. You're, you're, you're good, man. You just got to get through the next couple of years and you're going to the NFL. Well, if you don't dominate out there on the football field, you don't go to the NFL. Right. So I think that that's where that rock in a hard place was, where psychologically a lot of those guys got beat down because ain't no way in hell a guy like Marcus Forston shouldn't have been a top draft pick. I remember playing against Marcus Forston coming out my senior year when he was a sophomore and being like, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> right? So, you know, these guys were talented, but unfortunately they were just mentally weak. And they never trust the process. And, you know, uh, you could like Randy Shannon's methods or, or hate him. But at the end of the day, you know, the, his coaching style really didn't match up with those guys. And, and unfortunately, it was too close to home. So when you see certain guys like, you know, other guys like that were committed to the University of Miami that end up going to other schools and finding success, you know, I'm happy for them because I don't know necessarily if they went to University of Miami that they would have been able to kind of go through that adversity that a college student must go through in order to kind of take the next step. Was Randy Shannon good for you? Randy Shannon was amazing for me. I mean, you know, even more importantly, I think when you – it's all about the position coaches. You know, I'll tell you a quick story. Jeff Stoutman, he's uh, the offensive line coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. He was on Randy Shannon's staff, and he became my offensive line coach. He, he was there right after our keyhole. And, you know, one day, my freshman year, when I was at UM, this is 2007, we used to, you know, uh, he calls me out of nowhere. He's like, hey, where are you at? It's like 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I'm on campus going to class, coach. Meanwhile, I'm in bed. Uh, at Mahoney Pearson. He was like, okay, well, what time are you done class? I'm like, all right, I'll be done in like 45 minutes. He's like, come see me. I go see him in 45 minutes. And he's like, okay, hey, Orlando, come here. I'm like, all right, what's up, coach? And I walk into his office and, you know, he, he puts the phone on he puts the phone on speaker, the office phone. He starts dialing a number, looking at his cell phone, dialing a number. And I'm like, what's up, coach? He's like, hey, just sit down one second. Just wait one second. I'm like, all right. So I'm sitting in his office as he's dialing this number. The phone starts ringing. Uh, I hear, hello, it's my mom on the phone. And I'm like, oh, I know that voice, right? I recognize that voice. And, you know, Stoutman's like, hey, Sylvia, you know, it's Jeff Stoutman, you know, Orlando's coach, offensive line coach. And, uh, there at UM. And my mom's like, hey, how you doing, coach? Because obviously they built up a, a rapport. You know, because Stout had to re-recruit me and he's my offensive line coach. And he was like, you know, Orlando's here in my office and I just got a report that Orlando hasn't really been going to class, that he's missed a couple of classes. And I just wanted him to explain to both of us why he's missed these classes okay. because, Ooh. you know, I came to your house a couple of months ago and as I was recruiting Orlando to the University of Miami, I promised you that he'd get a degree. And, you know, at that point, like my, my mouth dropped, like my, my jaw was open, right? Are, are you kidding me? I can't believe that my coach just did this. And, you know, for me, it was Jeff Stoutman understanding what made me tick, what was important to me, right? Because he could have sat there and said, hey, you got to go run and, and you're going to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, you're going to do up downs. But that wasn't going to get through to me. Like, you now tell my mom, a person that I respect, a person that I know has made sacrifices for me that I am trying to do the right things for, like, that's going to get through to me. So, you know, the hardest thing for a coach is understanding what a person, what makes a person tick, what motivates an individual. 
So, you know, I think Randy was great for me because at the end of the day, me, I'm black and white, right? I mean, it's either you're doing right or I'm doing wrong. And if I'm doing wrong, tell me that I'm doing wrong. If I'm doing right, tell me that I'm doing right. And, you know, that's always been the, the style of coaching that I respond to really, really well, but not necessarily everybody does. Anything about, so there was, I think it was maybe your, almost maybe your junior year. I think it was like a nine win season, if I'm not mistaken. It was sophomore, junior year. You guys start, looked like it was going to turn. Um, in hindsight, we know how it all went. So anything you either hoped had gone different, wished had done different, and then anything about that time that maybe is misunderstood um, that people from the outside don't quite understand what was happening on the inside? Oh, man, that was so long ago. The hits that I've taken, I can't even remember. You know, obviously, you know, I feel like my time at University of Miami was a failure. You know, I, you know, I went there. I remember when I first was getting recruited from, you know, Larry Coker's staff and Art Kehoe walked into my living room and he walked in with all five national championship rings on and he said, listen, you're coming to Miami. You're going to graduate early. You know, you're going to get drafted in the first round and you're going to win one of these. Well, I didn't graduate early. I didn't get drafted in the first round. I didn't win one of those. So to me, my time at the University of Miami was, you know, we failed. We, we didn't carry on the torch the right way. And I think that everybody that was there at that time understands that because the University of Miami is held to a standard. Even when you look at it now, it's like, hey, are we back or are we almost back, right? Until Miami's back at the top and competing for national championships, we all feel like that school's been done it injustice because of how good that school was for you know decades. So I can't remember uh, a specific thing, but at the end of the day, you know I hope the fans look at me when I was there and say, "Man, that was a bad dude," and that dude could have played on any team. I, I hope that that was the thought process because. You know, I tried to play the game with a physicality that, that was unmatched. And my definition or my thought process going to games was I was going to make the person in front of me concede. After 60 minutes, I was going to beat him up so bad that that person wasn't going to want anymore. And I've met people, coincidentally enough, like later on in life, uh, actually a couple of weeks ago, when we played against BC, they had a, a defensive lineman that went to North Carolina and he blew staring at me as I'm on the sideline. And, and he's like the D-line coach out there with Bachman College. And he walks up to me. He's like, hey, like, are you Orlando Franklin? Like, you went to the University of Miami, right? I was like, yeah. He was like, man, I'm such and such. And I just want to tell you that, you know, I got so much respect for you. You know, I played you my sophomore year when I was at North Carolina. And that was the longest day of my life. <laughs> so people, yeah. He's like, people always ask me who's the toughest person I ever went, went against. And I always say this number 74, you know, my first start as a sophomore, you know, he took it to me and it was a long day. And I appreciate things like that because for me, it was all about the physicality. And, you know, that's what, you know, people rant and rave upon. So hopefully when people look back at my time, even though there wasn't the team success and, you know, that there was the hopefully they say, you know what, this guy belonged to the University of Miami. He was a you guy. A few more things. That probably explains your connection with Mario then. If you like the physicality that much, you know how much he loves it. I'm, I'm sure there, there, other than the fact that he recruited you and you've had a long-standing relationship with him, there's, uh, there's a connection there as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we both love the violence. We both love offensive line and defensive line play. And I think we both believe in the same thing, right? I mean, you built up, you build up your offensive line, you build up your defensive line, and, and that's what creates the identity of your football team. And and that's what you know. It's all about the dirty work, the guys that don't get the credit. And you go back and look at those national championship teams that University of Miami won. And I promise you, on every single one of those national championship teams, there were draft picks playing on the front, on the offensive line, and draft picks playing on the defensive line. Guys that could play in the NFL and dominate in the NFL. So I think that guy probably came up to you and was like, are you Orlando Franklin? Because he didn't recognize you. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's <laughs> for sure. See what I did there? I'm, I'm, weaving, I'm weaving here, Orlando. We're going to wrap this up. So you do not look not – well, facially, that's your face. But, I mean, you do not look like – you look like a mean – you know what, back in the day. 
Uh, you yeah. had a mean look for you, but you, you've gone through this transformation. We touched on it earlier. What prompted it? Like what, something had you said you have all, you've had a lot of moments in your life. What was that moment that prompted you to drop? I think it's over 100 pounds. Yeah. Um, well, baby number two was on the way. And uh, I remember we were walking. Around, I was walking around the neighborhood with uh, my son, who was two at the time. My oldest He's now he's now five and a half. And, you know, he was like two, almost three, and he was riding his bike on train wheels. And I saw a car getting ready to come around the bend. And, and this is during like COVID. And, um, you know, I, I, I had to like jog to go get him because I saw the car and he's about like 20 yards away from me. And man, every step that I took hurt. Every step that I took literally hurt. I was about 350 pounds. This is two years after my retirement. I played at about 320, you know, so I've gained about 30 pounds. And like I said, it's, it's the middle of COVID. So having uh, a little bit too much, too many adult pops during the time and, you know, adult pops have create inflammation. And, you know, so for me, kind of understanding that baby number two was coming, the fact of my body felt just really, really crappy. I had a 10 minute stretch routine to loosen up my back each and every morning after I woke up and, you know, I looked at alcohol and said something had to change because I wasn't capable of having, you know, two, three drinks and just calling it a night. For me, I was either all in or all out. And, you know, my first couple of years of retirement, what would happen is, you know, I would eat right, stay away from drinking, you know, take it day by day and be perfectly fine and be dropping weight, dropping weight. And then all of a sudden, November rolls around and you have family in town because of Thanksgiving. And then my birthday is in December. In December 16th, I got family in town. And then I got family in town for Christmas. I got family in town for New Year's. Um, in January, I'm on a USO tour for two weeks out of the country. In February, I'm on a family vacation for two weeks. And before I know it, in three months, I've gained about 50 pounds because I'm you know, hanging out and having too many adult pups. And, you know, I just said, something's got to change. Like I said, baby number two was on the way, more man-to-man -man defense. And I first approached it and said, I'm going to stop drinking for three months and start eating paleo and start walking every day. Well, in the three months, you know, I lost a little bit over 30 pounds by walking each and every day. I'd walk five miles Monday through Saturday. So I'd do 30 miles a week, you know, so I got down to about, 315 at that point and I was like hey you know what let's do another three months because I feel I'm feeling better the information's going down let's see if I could do another three months to start jogging well I lost another 30 pounds in three months so you know now I'm about you know 285 range and at that point I was like well women do it every single day right they get pregnant and they gotta you know not drink for nine months so who's this why shouldn't I do it for nine months then I got to about month seven, month eight, and I was just like, I'm done drinking. You know, I feel amazing. My body's transforming. I'm going to be done drinking alcohol, period, point blank. And I've just never looked back. It's been uh, over three and a half years for me that I've been sober. I pride myself on being a good father. I weigh three, I've weighed 225 pounds now. I'm up and down, all around, jump on the ground, play soccer, run around with the kids, do everything that the kids want to do each and every day. But it was definitely motivated by my children for sure and your routine now are you are you a regular exerciser yeah so um you know i try to do something each and every day uh cardio wise uh whether it's peloton whether it's jogging or you know just you know going on hikes or, or you know living out here in colorado but definitely try to be outdoors as much as possible that's awesome. That is really awesome. And I imagine you feel amazing. Even every 30 pounds that came off, you probably felt that much more inspired. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and results, right? Results become contagious when you start seeing yourself and, you know, start feeling better. You're just like, oh, man, like, I want to drop a little bit more. Or I want to do a little bit more. So, yeah, no, it's all worked itself out for sure. And now you have a face for TV instead of radio. Exactly. <laughs> it all worked itself out for sure. Hey, one last, one last real quick thing, and then I'll let you go. So you got in the coaching for like a short stint with the 49ers, correct? Maybe a season, if I have that right? Yeah. yeah. Was Mike McDaniel on that staff? Yeah. 
you know, Mike was on that staff. I, I was in there uh, a couple years ago. So my father-in-law is the running back coach for the 49ers. My father-in-law has been under Kyle and actually Mike was uh, the ball boy when he was With here. My father-in-law yeah. coach for the Broncos for 17 years. So what, what do you think of Mike? Oh, Mike's unbelievable. I mean, he, he's a genius when it comes to the run game. I mean, you know, I'd like to think of myself as a smart individual when it comes to football, but you know, talking to Mike and how he's able to develop certain schemes and develop certain plays. I mean, he, he's like a wizard for sure. So you're not surprised by what's what's happening down here? No, not at all. Mike's not. an unbelievable coach. All right. Orlando, thanks for doing this, man. I know, I know when you jumped on, you said you're happy for the invite. I'm glad we invited you, to be quite honest. I'm glad we got a chance to hear some stuff we knew, and there was a whole lot we didn't know, and that's the beauty of doing a podcast and coming on here. So, Appreciate you doing this and hopefully get one of our games down the road and we cross paths. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. All right. Have a good day. Thanks. You as well. Appreciate it.